My name is TZ, and I'm the host and creator of Tapes from the Dark Side. If you want to skip the ads that are in this episode, then join us on Patreon, where you get access to our premium feed featuring ad-free episodes in the highest audio quality. Just go to patreon.com slash tapes from the dark side. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Tapes from the Dark Side contains descriptions of violence and sexuality. Listener discretion is advised. Developing now a 10, did Mark Redwine kill his son Dylan? The death has now been ruled a homicide, and Mark has been named the lone person of interest. Now we have tried reaching out to Mark Redwine numerous times, but we have not heard back. Mark Redwine, he didn't want this podcast to take place. Some believe that you, Ms. Hoffman, are a sympathizer of Elaine. Regardless, there is much you don't seem to know about Elaine. I have another call coming through right now. I'm going to answer it. You are on the air. Who is this? This is Mark Redwine. I think everyone has a bit of a fascination with the dark side. I myself have always loved the dark side as well. I think it's something that everyone secretly longs for and wants. I don't owe the nation an explanation as to what I'm doing. Dylan is my son. No, you owe Dylan that explanation. Mark Redwine, when we have three minutes left in the show, I'd like to know what you have to say. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I disagree with a, a lot of what Elaine says. Um, I'm certainly not running from her, law enforcement, or anybody else. Um, I think her caller, Rodney, is probably the reason why the Sheriff's Department has added additional patrols to my house. Um, you know, the, the bottom line is, this isn't about me. This is about my son. And my son is still missing. And until we find his remains and have a better opportunity to determine his cause of death, 
I think that we're all talking in circles right now. And do you mind sharing with the listeners, Mark? And again, I want to let everyone out here know this is Mark Redwine. This is the father of slain child Dylan Redwine. Um, do you mind sharing with the listeners what do you think happened to your son, sir? I don't know what happened to my son. I have absolutely no idea what happened to my son. I have no idea where he's at or where his remains are at. What I can tell you is that he was very much alive when I went to run my errands that I had to do the morning that I that he disappeared. And he was last seen alive by me. So I don't, I don't know what else I can say to you people. Obviously, the sheriff's department doesn't have any evidence to support a crime that's been committed, or I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you on the phone right now. I understand, Mark. And I have another question for you. Have you ever offered to take another polygraph test to clear your name? I've not refused to take another polygraph test. Have you ever offered? I haven't offered another one. Do you think, do you not agree I, that it would clear your name if you offered and took another attempt at taking a lie detector test? Well, I don't, I don't know that I do agree with that, Chelsea, to be honest with you. I think that, you know, law, uh, taking a polygraph test is only a tool that is used by law enforcement. And I, in my opinion, that ship is safe. Okay, I guess we can agree with that, that it is just a tool and it's not, it's not admissible in court. Um, I only have 30 seconds left in the show, so I want to thank you for calling. And the next time I do do a show on it, I want to invite you to come back and talk. Would you be willing yeah. to do that? Well, I'll be honest with you, Chelsea. I don't know that this is a proper venue to have for this kind of thing, but, you know, the fact is that I very much care about my son, and I very much, like everybody else, wants to know where he is because if anything, he needs, he deserves to be laid to rest. And I'm a firm believer in that. And I don't think until we get to that point that anybody should be out pointing fingers at anybody. But that's my opinion. Well, I want to thank you for calling in. Have a good night. All right. You too. All right, everybody. The show is ending. I have seconds before it cuts off. So thank you so much for tuning in. Um, It got a little bit hairy there at the end when Mark called in. So I really wish we could have had more time with him, but we didn't. So until next week, guys, thanks for listening. Mark once again asserts that he has never refused to take a second polygraph. Another peculiarity in this interview is Mark's persistence that Dylan's death was not a homicide. Forensic evidence clearly shows a murder occurred, and Dylan's death certificate was even formally changed to death by homicide. So why does Mark continue to claim otherwise? It's hard to view this stubbornness as being motivated by anything other than self-interest. It would be understandable if Mark's reaction was some kind of grief response, as denial is a well-documented part of the grieving process, but Mark never gives any indication that he is in denial that Dylan is deceased. Mark is in denial that Dylan was murdered, a small but crucial distinction. Mark also presents us with an argument that relies on circular logic, which is basically, if I'm guilty of this, then why am I not in jail? Remember when he used it back with the reporter when Dylan's death was first ruled a homicide? Mark Redwine said this. They can have a homicide all they want to, but if they feel like I've had any involvement with it, why 
why am I standing on my front porch having this conversation with you? This sounds almost identical to the line he uses in the interview with Chelsea. Obviously, the sheriff's department doesn't have any evidence to support a crime that's been committed, or I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you on the phone right now. Perhaps more alarming than any of this is something that Mark says that I initially didn't catch. And he was last seen alive by me. He was last seen alive by me. There are admittedly a number of ways to interpret this line. Perhaps Mark is running with his previous train of thought that Dylan's death was accidental. He wandered into the woods and met his fate there, and therefore Mark would have been the last person to have seen Dylan. Though up until this point, Mark has insisted that he was not the last person to have seen Dylan. He claimed on the Dr. Phil show and in interviews with Trisha Griffith that the mail carrier saw Dylan walking with a group of kids on the morning of November 19th. So was this a Freudian slip or just a mistake? Or maybe Mark decided that the mail carrier was mistaken and that she did not see Dylan that day. It's hard to know exactly what this means, but one thing's for sure. We can add it to the long list of confusing and contradictory statements that Mark has made. In 2015, Mark and Elaine filed civil lawsuits against each other, and in February 2016, Elaine's lawsuit was dismissed on a technicality. Elaine and her lawyer missed the statute of limitations deadline by a mere two days. This was all because of a misunderstanding of when the countdown for the two years officially was supposed to begin. Elaine and her lawyer thought that it began when Dylan's remains were identified, but the court decided that it officially began two days prior when his body was discovered. Elaine filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Mark. Then late last year, a judge dismissed the suit, saying she's passed the statute of limitations by a matter of days. Mark told Dr. Phil in 2013. I'm not involved in this. No matter how it comes across, whether it be to you or anybody else, I'm not involved in this. And that's what he tells us today. You can't prove what didn't happen. Absolutely, it had nothing to do with this. It's a, a miscarriage of justice. Appears to be based on a technicality. Mark's reaction? That I'm somewhat disappointed because I really was looking forward to the opportunity to have my day in court with my ex-wife. The judge ruled the suit should have been filed two years from the date Dylan's remains were found in July 2013, even though the Red Wines weren't told the remains were Dylan's until days later. I just hope someday that, that Dylan gets justice. In a phone interview with the Durango Herald, Mark Redwine said that Elaine's lawyer should have known better than to file such a quote-unquote frivolous lawsuit. He was also quoted as having said, what I don't hear Elaine out there saying is, we need to do this in a peaceful manner, because that's how Dylan would want it. Dylan doesn't support violence, never has. He was never a violent child. He was a loving, caring, compassionate person. And if you can't respect that about him, then you ought not be talking about him. 
Mark Redwine's counterclaim accused Elaine of negligence and intentional infliction of emotional distress, and it remained active, at least for the time being. Shortly after this disheartening ruling, on April 7, 2016, Elaine would join Dr. Phil via a remote video link for a two-minute update on the status of the case. This would be Elaine's last appearance on the Dr. Phil show to date. Fourteen-year-old Dylan Redwine went missing during a Thanksgiving visit with his father three years ago. Now, when Mark and Elaine appeared on the show, Mark refused to take a polygraph exam. And then sadly, four months later, Dylan's partial remains were found just 10 miles from Mark Redwine's home. Now, he has now been named a person of interest. Dylan's mother, Elaine, joins us now on Polycom. Uh, Elaine, uh, good to talk to you again. Hi, Dr. Phil, thank you for having me on. Bring us up to date, what's going on, Elaine? There are still searches, ongoing searches that um, happen. And through those searches, there has been um, new information, new evidence um, that has been found. You know, we work diligently on, on trying to, um, you know, make waves or, or do whatever we can do um, to try and, you know, keep Dylan's story out there and to try and keep pressure on law enforcement as well as, as on um, Mark. Right now, you're being sued by Mark, is that right? I am. I am being sued by Mark for um, intentional infliction of emotional distress, I believe. Tell us about Senate Bill 34, which would make tampering with a deceased human body a, a felony. Tell us about what's happening with that. Um, a close friend of mine asked me to um, lobby and advocate with her to sponsor a bill um, that would make tampering with a human body more of a crime than tampering with any other evidence, such as like a cell phone or, or whatever. Right. So we are working on trying to get it a, a, high, a high felony. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear about these developments. We're going to continue to uh, stay in touch with you and keep a light on this. Thank you for talking to us again today, Elaine. The La Plata County Sheriff's Office says the case is still open. Mark is still named a person of interest. I've lost hope in law enforcement it's in relation to La Plata County. Meanwhile, Dylan's mom hopes investigators won't give up. At this point, it doesn't seem like he's gotten any justice, civilly or criminally. On Tuesday, October 25th, 2016, the legal battle between Mark and Elaine would officially come to an end with no clear victor. With Elaine's lawsuit thrown out because of a technicality, Mark's countersuit was the only one left standing. I was able to get access to the entire counter lawsuit filed by Mark, courtesy of westward.com. Here are a few excerpts. It is more likely than not that Dylan left Mark's home during the Thanksgiving break 2012, possibly encouraged by Elaine, and met with whoever or whatever caused his death. But for the actions of the plaintiff, Elaine Redwine, it is more likely than not that Dylan would be alive today. Elaine has led a concerted campaign to blame Mark Redwine for her son's tragic death. 
including on social media, threats of violence, death threats, vandalism, harassment, and intimidation so extreme that Mr. Redwine is forced to live mainly on the road as a trucker. Elaine's campaign to treat Mark Redwine as the only suspect in her son's death, despite the lack of evidence in support of that theory, is in violation of basic principles of investigation for more than 100 years. See Arthur Conan Doyle. Once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. I am not a legal scholar by any means, but it seems strange to quote a crime fiction writer in a lawsuit. I could understand quoting legal precedent or a legal scholar, but the author of Sherlock Holmes just seems out of place. This conduct, all of which has been wholly intentional, has rendered Mark Redwine nearly unable to work, to live in his home without fear, or to engage in many of the normal daily activities of life. Elaine's actions up to and including the present filing are so extreme and outrageous as to shock the conscience. As a result, Mark Redwine has suffered damages in an amount to be proven at trial. Mark and Elaine did try going through a mediator to prevent the court hearing, but Mark would not settle for anything less than $50,000. Mark did not explain exactly how he came up with that number, but I don't think it's a coincidence that the amount raised by the Justice for Dillon campaign, which was to be used as a reward for information leading to an arrest, was set at exactly $50,500. Judge Herringer, who decided the case, said in an oral ruling that Elaine had simply expressed her opinion and that nothing she said or did came close to being, quote, extreme and outrageous enough as to shock the conscience. Judge Herringer also commented that he was troubled by the manner in which the case was litigated. During testimony, he repeatedly had to stop Mark's lawyer for his line of questioning saying that the compound questions he directed towards Elaine were an obvious fishing expedition. After the ruling, Elaine said she was glad to see Mark's case against her dismissed, but she most looks forward to the day when criminal charges are brought against Mark. She said this is the most important piece to seeking justice for Dylan. Mark gave an interview after the case was decided, but I couldn't find footage or a transcript. Just this quote as it appeared in the Durango Herald. When asked if he expects them to ever find Dylan's killer, Mark said, Would it surprise me? Yes. Because I don't think that day will ever come. If they don't have it by now, they're never going to have it. Coming up after the break, an arrest is made. Being the Nick, when we're moving up, I'll cover the cap. There's a passenger, there's a passenger. Just keep your hands up, buddy. Just keep your hands up. Stay with us. You're listening to Tapes from the Dark Side. 
We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. If you prefer an ad-free experience, then join us on Patreon. For about the cost of one coffee a month, $3, you get access to our premium feed, featuring every episode ad-free in the highest quality audio, 320 kilobytes per second versus 192 on this standard feed, plus bonus episodes and more. It takes less than a minute to sign up. Pause the show right now and go to patreon.com slash tapes from the dark side. Fair Health for older adults understands that healthcare decisions are life-changing decisions, strategic decisions, shared decisions. FairHealthForOlderAdults.org provides financial and educational information for older adults and caregivers planning for a treatment, procedure, or ongoing condition. Fair Health for Older Adults, healthy decisions for healthy aging. Explore FairHealthOlderAdults.org today. Campaign generously funded by the John A. Hartford Foundation. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. That's it. Back to the show. We haven't identified anyone as a suspect at this point. That's what police told Action 7 News in 2013. Then just yesterday, police arrested Mark Redwine in Washington and charged him with murdering his son. Mark Redwine is in custody and will face charges in the death of his son, Dylan. Mark Redwine was arrested and charged with the murder of Dylan Redwine on July 22, 2017. Let's put them down, lay them down, and we'll move up. Uh, Nick, Bean, and Dollywall, grab them. But let's uh, put them on the ground, stomach, arms out. Bean and Nick, when we're moving up, I'll cover the cap. There's a passenger, there's a passenger. Just keep your hands up, buddy. Just keep your hands up. Dollywall, watch the cap. I got the cap. Around me, go around back. Yep. Just keep your hands up. Don't move, bud, okay? Do not move. Drop a cigarette. When you guys can, you'll explain to me what's going on? Yes, sir. Is your name Mark? Yes, it is. He's the Dane. Mark is the Dane. Bellingham here is not very big. It's on the Canadian border here, just by coincidence. So we don't have anything to indicate that that actually has. Um, it's not like he was trying to go to the border or try to get across the border or anything like that. But this is a town where, uh, frankly, this news is uh, is a big enough deal here. Dylan Redwine's father, Mark Redwine, is an over-the-road truck driver. So he drives one of those big 18-wheelers. And he was coming here, this is according to Bellingham police who made the arrest, coming here to one of the businesses, a place that does freeze-dried vegetables. And police were able to contact his trucking company. They used a GPS that was in his truck, and they were able to follow his movements. Mark, do you have any weapons on you, sir? No, sir, I do not. Rolling my way? Yeah. Just got to check you, okay, Mark? I'm fine. Okay. Rolling that way? Yeah. You got to check that side? Yeah. 
Here's my wallet in that pocket. Just the wallet. All right. You're going to turn towards me and sit on your phone, all right? Are you Mark? Yes, sir. Okay. I'm the sergeant. Did you say you, uh, you asked to speak with me? When he pulled in to drop off this load here, they were watching him. Police officers were in undercover clothes uh, doing surveillance. At that point, a grand jury in La Plata County, Colorado, had already handed up an indictment for second-degree murder. Police call up here to Bellingham. They say, hey, we need your help. Here's where we think this truck is based upon where the GPS shows. Police officers were getting together, they tell me, a big team that would be an arrest team. And so that's a group of people who they can bring in that are highly trained to be able to do this type of thing. But the truck started moving too quickly and they didn't feel like they had enough time to wait for that arrest scene. So they had to move in. Well, I was asking a few questions. First of all, I'm trying to understand what exactly is going on. Okay. Um, before we get going here, I do got to let you know I am equipped with a body-worn camera. It records both audio and video. Okay. Uh, have you been read your Miranda rights yet? No, I have not. Okay, let me make sure I get those read to you so that... Uh, I'm trying to answer all the questions you have, no, um, but because you're in handcuffs and because you're in the back of a police car, I do want you to know what your uh, what your rights are too. Okay. It's hard to catch everything Mark says in this footage because the audio is so muffled. But right there, I believe he says, "I haven't done anything to have my rights read." I'm going to go ahead and play the rest of the footage that we have with Mark on the body cam without interruption. Uh, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you in a court of law. You have the right it's time to talk to a lawyer and have him present with you while you're being questioned. If you cannot afford to hire a lawyer, one will be appointed to represent you before any question if you wish. And you can decide at any time to exercise these rights and not answer any questions or make any statements. You understand each of those rights that I just read to you? Okay. Um, the reason why you're in handcuffs right now is is because uh, we received a uh, call from an agency in Colorado. What had happened is they had got information that you were potentially up here, and they say that they had a uh, uh, a warrant for murder second for you. I'm sorry. I have no idea what that's about. Okay. And that's why, obviously, we tried to approach it as safely as we could because we don't want you to get hurt and we don't want us to get hurt. We all want to go home to our families and stuff like that. So I appreciate, from the sergeant perspective, I appreciate your cooperation and that I was the one giving you the verbal warnings over the PA as we got going here. So I appreciate how cooperative you were with us. So. Yeah, I have no reason not to. Okay, so here's where we're at right now. Um, Colorado... It has confirmed that that warrant is, is good. My, que my question to the other officer was, sure. when was this issue? I do he not know the answer to that. He said something to me about bond jumping or something like that. I have no clue what this is about. My phone is in the truck, okay. and obviously I'd like to be able to make a phone call. Yeah, here's, that's and, it, and here's the thing. Um, I, I, I want to accommodate that if I can. Um, I got one of my officers right now making calls to Colorado. Uh, and because of the nature and the investigation, I don't know if Colorado wants us to hold the truck for anything. Um, I don't know if it's related to the case. I don't know anything about anything. So what I have my, my officer doing is calling and basically saying, hey, uh, we contacted Mark. Uh, he's fine. He's safe. He was in this big truck. Do you guys need this big truck as part of your investigation for any reason? If they say no, that the truck is good to be released, um, and then I'm happy to, with your permission, go in there and grab that phone so you have well, that available no, to you. Obviously, being a truck driver, I don't go home every night. There's obviously. things in the truck that I'd like to keep in my possession or with me yeah. if possible. Yeah, 
if the if the agency says yes, that we have reason to, uh, that we want to search that truck or whatever, um, then it's going to have to go for a search warrant, and that's again not you know that's beyond my control based on the nature of, of yeah, I can't the Colorado it. it's investigation. Out of my control. I have so, no control over that. Okay, does that help answer that question at all? Well, I mean, my concern right now is the ability to communicate with the people and let them know what's going on. Like an attorney or anything well, like that? My attorney for one and my girlfriend for another. Okay. Things in the truck that I'd like to keep in my possession or keep with me. I mean, I don't got my checkbook and... Like, like that. a small amount of items. Okay, be yeah. thinking about, be formulating the list. I mean, I could get what I want out of the truck that I need. Let me work on uh, shoring up those little loose ends of the investigation now, and I'll, I'll come back and I'll let you know what, what, what I find out. All right, man? Thanks. Interesting side note here, there was somebody else in the truck. Uh, that person was a student driver. Uh, he can only imagine what it would be like to be that student driver and, and be pulled over. I did actually find some footage at the tail end of the body cam recording with the student driver interacting with the officer that arrested Mark. Yeah, are you Ricardo? Yes, sir. Okay, and, and that's Mark with you? Yes. Okay, uh, Mark's got a murder warrant out of Colorado, okay? Oh, shit. Um, and so we got information that he was here and that he was potentially armed with a handgun, which is why we brought you out so carefully that we did, okay? We understand that, that you were with him, that you're a student driver with yes. him? Okay. Um, and so we didn't want you to be put in a position of being you know, a hostage or anything. We don't know this dude. We don't know what his story is. All we have is an agency in Colorado saying he's wanted for murder. Hey, have you seen a handgun in the truck? Or? No, I haven't. Okay. As long as I can pat you down and make sure you don't have a handgun, I'll get you out of those cuffs, and we'll try and figure out what, what the next step is no. about what we need to do. No, he's okay. a good dude. You know, I know that something, that something happened with his son, you know, so... Yeah, and I don't know the whole story. I, you know, I saw a little bit on Google or whatever, um, and it sounded like a kind of a long and involved thing, but that kind of has come full circle, and, and Colorado's saying, you know, we want to we wanna talk to this dude because we, uh -huh. think, we think he might have killed this kid. Mark Redwine is a father, an ex-husband, and now an accused murderer. Now, he's presumed innocent, of course, uh, but when you read the indictment, they have a lot of evidence. Mark Redwine's arrest is bittersweet for Corey, who wants justice for the brother he lost, but has also lost whatever relationship he might have had with his father. I'm sad that I've ever had to go through this, that Dylan had to go through this. It's exciting to know that justice is coming for my little brother. What is the most damning evidence that the prosecution has right now? The most harmful evidence to Mark Redwine is that Dylan's blood is found in many places in Mark's house. According to the Colorado Revised Statutes, an advisement hearing is the first time the accused is brought before a judge under an arrest, during which the judge will inform the accused as to exactly what the crimes he or she is being charged with, their potential penalty, and will set bond for the accused. In the grand jury indictment of the people of the state of Colorado versus Mark Redwine, filed on July 20th, 2017, there are two charges. Here are those exact charges as they were read to Mark during his first advisement hearing. That on or between November 8th, 2012 and November 19th, 2012, were triable in the County of La Plata, State of Colorado, 
Mark Redwine unlawfully, feloniously, and knowingly caused the death of Dylan Redwine in violation of Section 18-3-103, subsection 1 of the Colorado Revised Statutes. That's a Class 2 felony. Count number two states that on or about, or excuse me, on or between November 18th, 2012 and November 19th, 2012, in or triable in the County of La Plata, State of Colorado, Mark Redwine unlawfully, feloniously, knowingly, or recklessly caused injury to or permitted to be unreasonably placed in a situation that posed a threat of injury to the life or health of a child, namely Dylan Redwine, that resulted in the death of the child in violation of Section 18-6-401 of the Colorado Revised Statutes. Both of these uh, charges are Class II felonies. They are potentially punishable by 8 to 24 years in the Department of Corrections. Aggravating circumstances could increase the penalty to 48 years. Mitigating circumstances normally would uh, decrease it to uh, 4 years. You could also be fined between $5,000 and $1 million. Because the count number one uh, murder is a crime of violence, and because count number two child abuse resulting in death is a, um, I forget what it's called, but it's treated like a crime of violence, uh, the bottom end of the range on each charge is 16. So the amount of time in the Department of Corrections that you're looking at is actually 16 to 48 years. Remember that standard of proof in an indictment is probable cause, not what it would be in an actual trial, which as we know is beyond a reasonable doubt. I'm not going to read the entire indictment because it is lengthy and there is a lot of information in it that we have already covered extensively, though there are several key pieces of evidence held within the indictment that have never before been revealed to the public. At 2 a.m., November 19, 2012, the morning that Dylan disappeared, Mark Redwine's neighbor, Carrie Cochran, observed his exterior front porch light on, and later that morning when it was still dark out, she observed the light off. Dylan Redwine's blood was found in multiple locations of Mark's living room, including on the couch, the floor in front of the couch, the corner of the coffee table, on the floor beneath a rug, and a love seat. DNA testing showed that Dylan Redwine was the source of the blood on the love seat and could not be eliminated as a contributor to the mixture found in the blood on the couch, the floor, corner of the coffee table, and beneath the rug. The home had been severely damaged by a fire, and a remodel was completed earlier in March of 2012. According to Mark Redwine, Dylan had limited visitations after the home remodel, and had not suffered an injury that caused any bleeding during those visits after the remodel. On August 5, 2013, human remains detection dog handler Karen Corcoran and her canine Molly conducted a search of Mark Redwine's house to determine if the corpse of a deceased human had been present at the location. Canine Molly indicated the presence of cadaver scent in various locations in the home, including the living room and the washing machine. Also, in August 2013, the same canine searched and indicated a cadaver scent on Mr. Redwine's clothes that he reported wearing on the same night that Dylan went missing, November 18, 2012. And again, on February 13, 2014, 
the same canine conducted a search of Mr. Redwine's Dodge pickup truck and alerted to the presence of human cadaver scent in several locations, including the bed of the truck. In June of 2013, some of Dylan Redwine's remains were located about eight miles up Middle Mountain Road from Mark's house, roughly one mile past the gate which closes seasonally and only 100 yards or so from the road directly off of an ATV trail. Mark Redwine had an ATV in his garage and was very familiar with the Middle Mountain Road. A witness observed Mr. Redwine driving down from the gate alone on April of 2013 Yet, he had left town and did not attend the search for Dylan Redwine in June of the same year. On November 1st, 2015, hikers further up the Middle Mountain Road found Dylan Redwine's skull. On foot, the location was roughly 1.5 miles away from the first recovery site, though through very difficult terrain. But it was much more easily accessible by Middle Mountain Road. According to Lyle Wilmarth, a wildlife officer with the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Division, no known animal to the area would transport a body up the mountain from Mr. Redwine's residence to the first recovery site. Furthermore, no animal known to the area would transport the skull an additional 1.5 miles. Forensic anthropologists determined that Dylan Redwine's skull had injuries consistent with blunt force trauma at two locations. The skull had two small markings consistent with the tool marks from a knife, not caused by an animal or natural causes. These defects in Dylan Redwine's skull were paramortem, which means occurring at or near the time of death. On June 27, 2013, immediately following the location of Dylan's remains, Dylan's half-brother Brandon Redwine reported an odd conversation with Mark. Specifically, Mark had mentioned blunt force trauma several times and discussed how investigators would have to find the rest of the body including the skull, before they could determine the cause of death. When investigators interviewed Mr. Redwine's ex-wife, Betsy Horvath, she voiced concern that Mark Redwine may have hurt Dylan. She reported that Mark had previously said that if he ever had to get rid of a body, he would leave it out in the mountains. Also, during their divorce and custody proceedings, Mark repeatedly violated custody and told Miss Horvath that he would, quote, kill the kids before he let her have them. Miss Horvath's sister, Sandy Lange, has verified that she also heard the threat. Earlier in 2012, Dylan had seen compromising pictures of Mark Redwine. When Mark was talking poorly about Elaine and Corey, Dylan asked his brother Corey to send the pictures to him so he could confront Mark. Very shortly after Dylan Redwine's death was confirmed, two of Elaine's friends said they argued with Mark in front of his house. These same pictures were referenced and Mark immediately reacted in a violent way. He reportedly picked up a log, raised it over his head in an attack gesture, and approached them. In summary, Mark Redwine had 13-year-old Dylan Redwine in his custody and was alone with him the last night Dylan was heard from, November 18, 2012, 9.37 p.m. Dylan's blood was in the living room, Cadaver dogs indicated that a deceased person had been in the living room and the bed of his pickup truck. Dylan's remains were located in a location that was accessible and familiar to Mark, and their relationship was contentious at the time of Dylan's death. At least one point of contention between them was shown to have later provoked a violent response from Mark. When Dylan's skull was finally recovered, the marks, fractures, 
and two distinct locations of the remains were indicative of tampering with the body and the motive to conceal both the identity of the victim and the cause of death. All offenses against the peace and dignity of the people of the state of Colorado. As you see it right now with what they've revealed, how strong is this case? Well, it's a circumstantial case, but a strong circumstantial case. So when you put all those pieces of the puzzle together, it, it starts to look like a convincing puzzle. Did you have anything whatsoever to do with Dylan's disappearance? Absolutely not. Mark said the last time he saw Dylan, he was sleeping on this pillow the morning after he arrived in Bayfield. Because the more that they look at me, the more they're going to realize that I have nothing to do with this. Arrested in Bellingham, Washington, almost five years after his son disappeared. What possible motive would there be to kill your own son? The grand jury indictment mentions compromising photos. Nine Wants to Know has confirmed the photos show Mark Redwine as an adult in a diaper, eating feces. A far different kind of man who wore a bracelet the day we interviewed him, Hope for Dylan, and described a father-son trip to Boston the summer before Dylan disappeared to see the Red Sox in Fenway Park. He wanted to go to Boston to see the Red Sox. And people thought I was crazy because I was willing to drive that far because those were memories of a lifetime that nobody could take away. Blog Talk Radio. In just a few moments, we're going to talk to Elaine Redwine. That's uh, Dylan's mom. And yesterday, big news. Dylan's father, Mark, was finally arrested. Hi, Elaine Redwine. Welcome to Webster's Radio. Hi, Tricia. Thank you. First of all, how are you doing? All of the members of Webster's, and I'm sure all the visitors, everybody wants to know, how are you? I'm okay. You know, it's just been a long, arduous journey, and, and you know, it's um, been a very emotional journey, and so, you know, we're all pretty elated that this day has finally come. We've been waiting a long time for it. Let's talk a little bit about the indictment that came down against Mark Redwine. You, for a long time, knew a little bit of this information, right, but not a lot. Tell us about that. Well, I knew the things that they had taken from his house, you know, the, the flooring and the truck. And, you know, I knew that they had taken couches and things like that. The indictment really surprised everybody because it has a lot of evidence against Mark. Uh, blood was found on the couch, on the floor in front of the couch, on the corner of the coffee table, on the flooring beneath the rug, on the love seat, and a cadaver-sniffing dog detected evidence of human remains near Redwine's washing machine, on the clothes he wore, uh, the last night Dylan was seen alive, and in the bed of his pickup truck. Right there, you would think they could go ahead with the, with the indictment and arrest him, and they've had this information for quite a while. Uh, now, they did find Dylan's remains about a year later, and on the skull there were blunt force trauma marks, two of them. Uh, and I, that, I can't imagine what went through your mind when, when you heard about this. But why do you think now? What's the difference between last Saturday and this Saturday? Well, I think there have been many changes that have occurred in La Plata County. You know, a new sheriff was um, appointed um, a couple years back. I think he made a huge difference in the 
in the search for, for Dylan's remains. The new DA came in in January, and, you know, it's July, and we actually have results. We waited for so many years with the former DA, and we never got anywhere. So I think that's been a huge um, change, you know, for the positive, especially in Dylan's case. Do you think, and I interviewed Mark Redwine twice. I talked to him for hours one day, very confident that, you know, he he didn't do it and he didn't know who did it. And he thinks that, I can't even remember the things he said, maybe Dylan ran away or somebody else picked him up, something like that. Very confident in the fact that something happened to Dylan. He just had no idea. And I'll tell you what, that man does not stop talking. He came on to my show twice and just blathered on and on and on. Um, did he grow up in, abuse, in an abusive household or a weird household? Because, man, that's just creepy, the stuff he was doing. You know, I, I don't know. I knew his um, his biological mother, and I knew his stepfather, and, you know, I, 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 I think his stepfather was a decent guy. I think he had a lot of issues with his mother, um, you know, mm-hmm. just... I don't think she was around for him when he needed her, and um, I think she's a very selfish person as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've seen that throughout all this because not one, I mean, there's been one person in his entire family that has reached out to us during all this. So, you know, I I, I don't know. I can't really speak to that. I, I think that that, um, you know, was a part of his life. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, he... Uh, he never really talked in, in great detail about that stuff. Okay. I, I, have, I have a feeling we're going to hear more about uh, his background growing up. Elaine, listen, I'm going to let you go, but please uh, give Corey our love and our best. And, again, I want to state anything you need. I'm just a phone call, text away, okay? Okay. Thank you, Trisha. I appreciate it. Thank you, Elaine. Take care now. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Nine months ago, investigator Kevin Vaughn broke the news on Saturday that Redwine had been arrested in Washington state. Kevin, this is a case where really much of the evidence has been in the hands of investigators for years. There is so much new information in this indictment that was never before released. The bloodstains, the cadaver hits, the skull. The fact that Dylan specifically asked Corey to send him the pictures so that he could confront Mark. I understand that all of this is circumstantial evidence and that it's difficult to get a conviction without hard physical evidence or an eyewitness. But setting all that aside, the evidence that they did make the arrest on is all evidence that they literally had for years. And that just seems crazy to me. Was there something seriously wrong with the former DA? Was there a potential conflict of interest? Or is there something else going on here that we're not aware of? One thing we do know is that the hiring of Pete Klismet by the new district attorney in 2015 led to the creation of a criminal profile, which helped them narrow the search. But even then, it took two more years to make an arrest. One of the frustrating things about true crime and honestly life in general is that systems are not perfect and no matter how hard we look, we may never fully understand the hows or the whys. And I must add that if Elaine is able to make peace with the situation, then surely we can too. 
And I don't say that with the intention of invalidating any of the questions that I have about the handling of the case or the questions that you probably have too. Let's hear what one of the assistant DAs has to say about why it took so long to make an arrest. Ryan Brackley is Denver's assistant district attorney. Sometimes it's just a matter of different experiences, different expertise, different voices, different eyes looking at evidence that has been in existence all along. The local district attorney wasn't sure there was enough to file charges. I mean, a lot of tremendous work has been done on that case. So he asked for help from the Colorado District Attorney's Council, where Tom Raines is executive director. And Raines assembled a team from multiple offices to review the evidence and make suggestions. But it's not like we had to go tell them to do things. It was just another, another four or five sets of eyes and, and minds working together on what could or couldn't be done and whether or not at that point it was worth pursuing. That review led to a decision to take the case to a grand jury, a group of common citizens that meets behind closed doors, hears evidence, and decides whether charges should be filed. Jurors even get to question witnesses. We hear the questions that the community once answered before a decision is made to go forward. In the case of a grand jury in a cold case, it really is about hearing whether or not that community believes that this is a case that's important enough, that's ready to go the distance. Let's go back to one month before the advisement hearing took place, back to Bellingham, Washington, where Mark was arrested. Before Mark would be able to stand trial and before he could even enter a guilty plea or not guilty plea, he would have to be extradited from the state of Washington back to Colorado, where the crime allegedly occurred. In the following video that was recorded on July 24th, 2017, we can see Mark appear on a television screen that is fixed to the wall above a judge's desk. This is technically the first time that Mark has appeared in court for this alleged crime. Mark wears a dark green t-shirt and the collar is stretched down almost a quarter length of his chest. He looks tired and the overhead fluorescents don't do him any favors. The camera slowly zooms in on Mark's eyes and despite the pixelated image and the dark and hollow sockets, you can clearly see a shell-shocked look in those eyes. Perhaps the reality of the situation is beginning to sink in. This is the pre-hearing before the actual extradition hearing in which Mark was explained the conditions of his arrest and also given a chance to state whether he wanted to waive his extradition hearing rights and be voluntarily extradited back to Colorado or whether he would like to request a formal extradition hearing. Coming up next time on season one of Tapes from the Dark Side. Mr. Redline, do you have any questions about what it is that's uh, got you detained here at the Whatcom County Jail today? Was there any hint in your mind, any thought in your mind that there's a possibility that a guilty plea might come from this? This man's crime, it's terrible. It shows his character. It shows that he's not a trustworthy and reliable person. Everything he does is seen in the light of you bad person, you, you killer of your son. Your honor cannot do that. Your honor's got to provide a presumption of innocence. 
My name is TZ, and I have been your host today. Episode 9, the final episode of Season 1, is coming soon. If you want to experience the show in glorious full HD audio and 100% ad-free, then join us on Patreon. Get instant access to the Tapes from the Dark Side premium feed, 320 kilobytes per second versus the standard 192, one day early access to all episodes, exclusive bonus episodes, and you can also get merch discounts up to 30% off, our Tapes from the Dark Side exclusive sticker pack, entry into our giveaway drawings, plus your name read aloud in the credits of the show. Join today for less than the cost of one coffee a month, $3, patreon.com slash tapes from the dark side, or just click the link in the episode show notes, go sign up right now. This week we have exciting news. There are seven new Darksiders, Emily W, Joanne G, Tina S, Luis F, Les from the Worse Than Fiction podcast, and none other than Sleepy ZD himself. Become a Darksider today and hear your name in our next episode. Just go to patreon.com slash tapes from the dark side. Thank you as always to 2600 and Augusta Trevororum for allowing us to use their music on the show. Go to our Patreon episode page, which is in the show notes for a full list of music credits. If you want more Dark Side, then just search for Tapes from the Dark Side After Show in the podcast player of your choice. It's now time for me to share with you a promo from a podcast called Suffer the Little Children. Search for it in your podcast app and hit subscribe. Give it a shot. Here is their promo. 12-year-old Alex Hurley, 8-year-old Rico Roundtree, 18-year-old Trayana Somerville, 1-year-old Serenity Sutley, 2-year-old Dante Mullenix, 6-year-old Corey Michelo, 2-week-old Kalia McNabb. What do these kids have in common? They were fundamentally failed by the very people they trusted with their lives. Suffer the Little Children is the true crime podcast giving voices back to the victims of child abuse and shining a harsh spotlight on the parents, guardians, and caretakers who silence them. I'm your host, Lane. Each week, I take a deep dive into the story of an abused and murdered child, often conducting interviews with family members, prosecutors, or other major players in the cases I cover. Calling attention to these tragic stories is important not only to keep the children's memories alive, but also to educate the public about common and lesser-known signs of child abuse. These kids deserve to have their stories told and their voices heard. Listen to Suffer the Little Children on your favorite podcast platform, on YouTube, or at SufferTheLittleChildrenPod.com. Remember, the dark side is always here, waiting for you to listen. Until next time, try to enjoy the daylight. What you're describing, to have your life, what you need to do is hire you a hooker, a cook, oh, and a babysitter. Ow. A dark side. Yes, God. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? 
At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.